This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. And today we've got Mr. or Dr. Frank Farmer. Um, <laughs> he's a doctor of metal roofs, uh, but Frank has a very uh, unique background, which we're going to hear about in just a minute. But his company is called American Metal Roofs out of Flint, Michigan. Um, Frank, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Brian. So I alluded to the the doctor the Dr. Farmer in the beginning. So yes. do you want to, let's go back and have you kind of give us the two or three minute version of your story. Absolutely. First of all, I, I grew up as an extremely impoverished child in a very, very poor family, living in the upper peninsula of Michigan and decided very early to get an education and chose very early to be a physician. And unlikely that a guy coming out of poverty is going to become a doctor. And I set my mind to it and was the youngest person accepted to medical school at Michigan State University. And then after three and a half years of medical school, right before graduation, I realized that what I wanted to be as a physician wasn't practical. I wanted to be Marcus Welby. I was a people person. I was going to have to see a patient every seven and a half minutes and decided that's not the path that I wanted to go. So I actually did not walk down the aisle, but yes, I did go all the way through medical school. Got involved in the home improvement business in the early 80s and that had a friend who was selling some windows and thought that I might do well selling windows. And I did. And I excelled and, and climbed my ranks through, through a window company. And after moving through the ranks, built a company that was $20, $21 million, left that company. I did not own that company to start American Metal Roofs. Started American Metal Roofs in 2000. We've become arguably the nation's or the largest in North America specialty metal roof company, going into homes, selling a $40,000, $50,000 ticket, first call. So that's my my story in a nutshell. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I don't know if you caught that, but they're selling forty and fifty thousand dollar jobs with a one call close. I want to yeah. come back. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. But I want to go back to you grew up. You said you came from a very poor family. You yes. came essentially from poverty. A lot of people have poverty mindsets. How do you, how did you? overcome the poverty mindset? Yes. You know, that that's a great question. And I agree with you. I think that uh, that poverty mindset may be what keeps so many people from being very, very successful. For sure. Um, as, as, a, as a young guy, even though we were very, very poor, I had, I had encouraging parents who would say, you can do anything that you, that you set your mind to. And so we, we believed that. And I never looked at poverty, never looked at being extremely poor as something that was bad. It was just something I had to figure out how I could earn more money. And through, throughout life, that poverty was so ingrained in the back of my head that I always wouldn't take the easy route. In other words, I always looked for a better way. I never closed opportunities. I never said I know everything. I was always anxious to learn because I realized I didn't know everything. And I think that's that's the biggest thing that I did was I always took a look at what the opportunity was, not what the not what the problem was. I'd take a problem and I'd say, what's the opportunity here? 
Interesting. Really interesting. So that first company that you went to work for, you were selling there. I, I started selling, yes. And it, at that time when I joined the company, it was probably a $7 million window company. And it, the, the company the, this was full of sales reps that were, were satisfied. And I wanted to earn some real money. I wanted to really get with the program. And I, uh, I, I can remember I went over 30 when I started selling. Wow. I didn't have a clue. I'd, I'd never sold anything. I hadn't been around a sales background. But once I started following a step system of selling it, following a pattern and learned it, I just continued to perfect it and became one of the best and then grew an office and then grew a couple of offices. And pretty soon I was running sales and moved up through the ranks of the company and continued to grow a company. So what then, so you went O for 30, mm-hmm. you started to make more money than you'd ever seen in your entire life. Yes. Mm-hmm. How did yeah. you? In the, how did go ahead? Sorry, I was, I was going to say in the in the late eighties, eighty six, eighty seven. You know, I had my first year that I made a hundred grand, and that's that's huge money. While everybody else was satisfied making thirty, forty thousand dollars, especially in the eighties, like it's good yes. money now, but in the eighties, yes. Mm-hmm. hundred grand yeah. was really a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. And I used to, I can remember when I was building offices and, and helping young men become salespeople. And I, I never looked at age as a barrier. In other words, being too young, I never looked at it as a barrier. Maybe that comes from going to medical school. I was sitting in medical school at 20 years old. And, but I, I prided myself in helping young guys that were 23, 24 years old make $150,000. I had one guy who was 25, 26 years old making 200 grand in, in, the, in the early 90s. Wow. And people thought he was a superstar. But really what happened was I never told him he couldn't. We only worked on systems that would work. And he was open to uh, learning and became extremely successful. How did you not, um, so you were making more money than you'd ever made. How did you not, how did you not blow it? How did you keep going and continuing to get better and better and get more successful? You know, I, I never paid, I've never been asked that question, but think about it. I, I, I've never paid attention to how much I made as a cap on what I was going to do. In other words, I set up a program when I started making money that i I literally never opened paychecks for a while and money would just go into a bank account and I knew there was enough to pay the bills. I want to escape poverty. I started accumulating wealth and it wasn't about going to get a new boat. It was about running from poverty is what is what drove me in my early years. And you know, I, I can remember getting a phone call from the from the bank saying, you've got too much money in the account and you've got to transfer it because it's no longer, it's over the limit of being protected. And, wow. um, you know, Early in my sales career, I, I was I was married. My wife was concerned when I was over 30 and I'd come home every night and she'd say, did you sell something? And the answer was no. And I could see it was really weighing on her and, and it was bothering her and I had to control that. So quite honestly, I started not telling the truth. Yep, I did. Oh, good, good. Good get paycheck. And and so after I started making money, and again, this is back in the 80s, I would deposit $600 in her, her checking account to, to run the family on every week. Didn't matter. She'd get 600 bucks. Yeah. She'd get 600 bucks. It didn't matter if I made 2000 or if I made 300 that week. She got 600 bucks. And I, I knew I had to control things around me. What my wife wanted was stability. And, you know, our wives drive us or they hold us back. Yeah. But that's all determined. That's all determined by us and, and what we feed. They're feeding off our energy. That's all they know is what is what we tell them. So I had to, I had to control that. 
So what kept driving me was was the poverty, and then it, it, it was not to be this extremely successful individual. Knowledge drove me. I was very analytical in my approach, but I was a hard-driving, very high-eye, inspirational type of guy that had vision. And I, I just found a niche to apply it in, in the home improvement industry was just absolutely perfect for my personality. Interesting. You know, I heard something wrong. I, I just realized you said you went O for 30 and I heard you say 30 for 30. So no, O went, for 30. You went O for 30. Okay. So hold on a second. So that's a different conversation. So you went O for 30, Yes. but you kept, you kept going and they kept giving you leads. Uh-huh. Yep. So how did you had, overcome that? You know, I, um, I look back at it and it was, I was running two and three leads a day. Uh, back in the window business, we were, we were getting 12 to 15 leads in a week. And first 30 leads, I didn't have a sale. Just didn't. And how did I overcome it? I, I just thought it was part of the learning curve. Nobody told me I wasn't going to be successful. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, you know, I, I, I look at how people run the business right now and, you know, they, they put incredible amounts of pressure instead of, instead of understanding you've got to get a person to a certain threshold. Um, but I knew nothing about this business. And looking back at it, I wouldn't say I had really great training. Yeah, I had average training. Uh, kind of training I had was with a company that every other week they had ten salespeople in a room. You know, I I thought I was chosen. You know, later on I found out I was just part of a herd call. <laughs> and so, you know, the the training was okay, and but I always realized it was it was up to me uh, to make it happen. And I, I'll tell you, Brian, some things that made me very successful as a sales rep in my selling career was I was ultra prepared. I did not. I, I watched salespeople today run into appointments and show up five minutes late, go there with unclean car. Maybe they're not uh, dressed the best. You know, they, they think they can shortcut when they know their boss isn't going to be there. They might not wear the company shirt or I've seen guys try to sneak and wear some shorts. And, and, and they kill themselves is what they do. In other words, we, we have a very short period of time to impress that person on the other side. And one thing that really helped me in my, in my sales career and has helped me in my business approach also as a contractor is the consultative sales approach. In other words, I speak with confidence. As a physician, I, I learned very rapidly when I was going doing rotations and, and working with doctors and clinics and hospitals that I, the people always weren't good listeners, always weren't taking in the information, that, the, that I had to be the good listener to see how to communicate with these people. I learned very rapidly that I, I could, well, we've all been through a physical, okay? And a, and a doctor takes a stethoscope and he puts it on your chest and he says, take a breath. And you, okay, he says, do it again. He's moving around the quadrants. And we, you know, we know as long as that doctor goes around our chest and, and says, okay, now open your mouth, that, that what we have going on is we've got a good physical. What if that doctor stopped after doing it twice and did the third one and says, oh my, do that again. Oh, do that again. And then walked over and wrote something down. You'd be like, what, what's going on? What's, what, what do you got? Yeah. Well, in the sales, in the sales process, I learned that was the same way. I had to captivate in that customer to that I was the authority and they wanted my help. I, I, I rarely, I was not the world's greatest closer. People bought what I had because they believed in the product, they believed in me, and they followed my lead in my consultative approach to sales. And I do the same thing in teaching my uh, metal roof sales reps. Yeah. So you developed salespeople and, and offices in that, in that company and you helped make you helped make a lot of salespeople very successful. When yes. you started your company, American Metal Roofs, mm-hmm. 
I would imagine you probably started off a little bit different. Were you running leads at the beginning or did you staff up from the very beginning? No, uh, right, right from the very beginning. First of all, it wasn't a, wasn't a, a great break with the other company. They owed me a bunch of money. Business had been sold from one person to another. And the reality is the value systems didn't match up. And, and, and I left. When I left, I, I took nobody with me, but eventually did hire my secretary who was there to help me put together an off. I went out and found a gentleman that understood the metal roofing business from an install standpoint and gave him part of the company. When I, when I started, it was just me. I didn't have any leads at all. I found a manufacturer. They could provide me with a couple of leads. And then it was up, up to me to learn to market and find out who this customer truly was that buys metal roofing and to figure out uh, how I was going to sell them. I had to write a presentation, had to put together a parts and pieces case, had to put the whole thing. And that really was the claim to fame that we had early because nobody had ever had ever done that. You know, when you, when you've got an average ticket that's in the, in a $40,000 range for every $15,000 roof you're selling, you're selling one at 70,000. And uh, it's not uncommon for us to sell a hundred thousand dollar, hundred fifty thousand dollars on the first call in a three, four, five hour appointment. But it was just me first year, 1,060,000 in sales. And that was, that was the beginning. And I continued to run leads and build a company. One thing I, I realized very rapidly is a person doesn't need a lot of leads. What they need to focus on is the leads that they're doing and doing the very best with what they have. My first year, I probably averaged, well, not probably, I averaged less than five leads a week and had to figure out the business and, and hit the road running. But we continued to grow from there and do very well with it. Um, when did you start bringing on salespeople? I first brought on a a rep who I had previously known from the, from the window business had not not been in contact with him for many years and ran into him and and I had room to bring a part time sales rep on and that's what I told him I might be able to give you two or three leads a week but I'll teach you learn the business and uh, and actually my first two reps both were part time that I brought on before I brought on my first full time rep you know you can be an extremely confident individual but you also realize you've got to provide leads yeah. for sales rep and uh, um, so that I, I looking back, I think that held me back a little bit from a standpoint uh, that you're, you you can be fearful that you can't provide leads. But what I learned real fast was to bring on a, another rep. All I did was I thinned out the leads for the two reps that I had or three reps that I had. Once I said full-time reps, I wouldn't give them 10 leads, wouldn't give them nine leads. I thin it down to seven and work in the next person as I was working to grow leads as we were generating more and more volume to generate more and more marketing money or what I call the gasoline to the engine. Yeah. How many sales reps do you have today? We run five sales reps. Five. Okay. Cool. At an average, we'll, we'll do we'll do we'll we'll do about seven million. Uh, actually, seven seven point two in installed sales. We also have a DIY component to our business where we have figured out that our typical customer is is really sixty plus, but there is a customer that's younger than that that has built their house, has done things that is interested in maybe going to a, a DIY seminar and learning how to put their own metal roof on. And so we run a class once a month <laughs> and we'll do three quarter of a million dollars in DIY sales in a year. Wow. That's, that's crazy. So you also own the, the supply company. So do you, you supply other metal roofing contractors? Is that, is that right? We, we've set up a, a distributorship. We're not the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And we, we have built an organization of dealers, um, about a dozen or so across the, across the country who are following our systems on how to sell metal roofing and have become very successful. Yeah. 
Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to BuilderPrime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. You know, you said something earlier, really interesting. I'd never heard it put this way before, but when you were talking about the step system, which if, you know, on this podcast, we talk about the step system a lot because selling and home improvements is a system. If you try and do it by the seat of your pants, yeah, as an owner, you could go out and sell, but you can't scale because you can't teach seed of your pants. You can only teach a right. system. But you also refer to it as a pattern, which I, uh, I thought is another interesting way of, of putting that. Do you want to speak a little bit more about process and, and systems? You know, we can, from a sales standpoint or from a business standpoint? Uh, both, either. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's 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 start with a with a, a sales process that that we go through, and it, and it truly is a, is a stepped a stepped sales system. But it it really starts with uh, with preparation and for, for that sales. And then once we're there, we're going to go in and we we will do a a very very thorough survey with that customer or inquiry into what they're looking for, looking for really truly what their motivations are. It isn't just to buy a roof. That's not why people spend that kind of money. Yeah. And you know, that's their that's their excuse, but they want the luxury. They want to keep up with the Joneses. They want the beauty. They don't want to worry. Our customer doesn't want to worry about a roof. So after after we have done that in our in our sales uh, system, then we will go out and do a measure and we will measure everything from the ground, but it's really to do a good uh, survey outside, lean a ladder up against the house, shoot lots of pictures, take a baggie, bring stuff in out of the gutter, try to make this as much of a, a robust presentation because the customer hasn't seen their roof up close. So we, we're going to bring it into them on the table, bring them pieces uh, of the shingles that have fallen off or a piece of rotted wood or whatever we can find in a gutter, put it in a baggie and bring it in. But we're going to shoot tons of pictures up close with zoom lenses, a flashings and things like that and make it real live. We've got to create that urgency to get rid of the customer's preconceived ideas. Every customer we see says, we're not going to do anything right now. And they believe that because they, they don't understand the shape maybe that their that their roof is really in. Then when we come inside, we bring in some equipment and this starts to set us aside from everybody else. We're going to be the consultant. We're going to go into an attic. We're going to use equipment to measure humidity, airflow, infrared, looking for moisture, infrared for temperature. We're going to do temperature sensing around, use moisture meters, measure the moisture level in the insulation in the house. And we can we can then share this information with them and we let the customer diagnose where where they're at 
in the aging process of their home. And fortunate for us, ventilation is not well understood by most contractors. Most houses we get into, they've already sealed up the windows, doors, siding, and made their house really tight. So all the ventilation in the house is not going out the walls anymore. It's going up through the attic and the attics are full of moisture and starting to mold out. So all of a sudden we've created a panic and urgency inside that customer to do something right now. Everybody else didn't show them this. We're the consultant. They're saying, oh my gosh. And we're going to sit down and do about a 50 minute to maybe an hour and 10 minute presentation. By now we're at a two, two and a half hour standpoint and we're presenting price. Roll right into monthly investments and roll right into an assumptive sale is is really our sales process. And this when is, I, well, and, and this is when you bring somebody new on, this yes. is the system you're teaching them. Step one, you do this. Step yes. two, you we, do this. Brian, we put them through a, a very, very intense training off-site. They're not going home at night. They, they're in class 8.30 till 5.30 or 6, two or three hours each evening. It's tough. But when they come out, they can sell. It is not uncommon that I can take somebody with no sales experience and have them come out a million and a quarter first year. It's, it's just, it, it's, that's not a problem. That's just the norm. They're going to come out and do a million bucks plus. Yeah. So what's really interesting about what you just said is you, it's off-site. They don't go home. Yes. I don't know if I've yeah. heard that before. That's interesting. So you're take, you're basically, you are putting them into a, a kind of a captive state of mind where it's like, okay, you're going to come here and you're like, it's like sleepaway camp and you're going to be completely immersed yes. in this training. Yeah. If they will, if they will dedicate a week to changing their life. And I, I tell every one of them this. Learning this process is like flying a 747. It takes a ton of energy to get it off the ground. They believe in us. They see the kind of numbers our guys are doing. They see the sales reps are making $200,000 plus a year here. They want to be part of that. You know, so many so many people, business owners get stuck in the home improvement business thinking that, well, they've, they've got to go make the sales or I can't find good salespeople. They never work out and they end up stuck being the, the sole salesperson of their, their business or, you know, one of two people, but they're still, they're mm -hmm. the owner of the company. And instead of focused on growing their business, instead they have a full-time job out running leads and right. the secret you know brian I, I i have i have some information from them that will will really help them great first of all when when you when a home improvement salesperson needs to team up with somebody who really understands how to interview and how to select that sales representative it's not a cattle call like i went through i mean that company would hire literally hundreds of people in a year to to keep a few and that's that shouldn't be the process and and there's a there's a true process to not only writing an ad and attracting the right person but also to hiring that person and it's not a quick process when it doesn't matter if I need a sales rep I will go three months four months five months until I have found the right people to put into training and still yet after very very careful selection I'm probably no better than one out of three because I can't control everything on the other end I can't research them well enough when they say they're financially stable. And even after second interviews and digging and prodding and seeing, you know, it's one thing, can they do the job? It's another thing, can they make the transition and learn this? So when we are so much into uh, taking the amount of time that it takes to choose that right person 
so we don't have as many failures, but we also understand what the numbers are. I think so many people from the consulting side of our business, because we work with a lot of dealers and help dealers get into this business, what we see is they want to run a quick ad find somebody say that's their guy they got got this guy he's been selling cars he's just great i know he's gonna be great frank and then you ask so what's his personality they haven't profiled him they've done no testing they haven't done a second interview the way the interview was conducted was they sat there and told them all about the company up front so every time they ask him something the guy would mirror what they're looking for and say oh he's perfect instead of finding out everything about that person up front so selecting that salesperson is so important if you're truly going to grow your business and understand what you're looking for working with a professional that can help you do that is so important. No wonder so many contractors say, you know, it's so hard to find a good person. Yes, it is. But don't have them wasting your money in lead. Find that good person to start with and, and at least improve your odds that you have found that right person. Yeah. You said about working with a with the right professional. Did you mean working with a professional to help you recruit? No, I've, I've never had any, any luck with that. But, yeah, we have. you know, uh, there's, there's many mentors out there in this business. Okay. You can, you know, my early learning of interviewing came off a variety of things. And one thing that sticks in my head was a tape series done by Dave Yoho, hiring the right person and, and understanding, understanding the process of a takeaway, understanding how to write a lead. You know, people are interested in getting in the metal roof business, you know, they can contact a person like myself, but there's other good people out there that'll work as mentors. It's not expensive. It's expensive not to do it right. Right. And, and to go, you know, there's no reason <laughs> Uh, that contractors, you know, should do five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year, and they're the only gig. They might get their business up to a million. Most of them can't. They're one man show. They're scattered. They're working seventy, eighty hours a week. That's insanity. It is to see that continue. Okay, you've got to stop and build one good person, and then build another good person, and build support staff. But you know, Brian, you and I both know in this business, you have the haves and you have the have-nots. And the haves playing the game of low price, don't think they can get the money for their product. So they never generate the funds that they need to hire staff to do things right. You know, the whole thing is set up that it's all based upon them and it's going to collapse time and time and time again versus learning from the beginning, finding a program, finding a product and a system, a step selling system that, that they can come in and learn and go through a sales boot camp like our own and learn how to professionally sell. You know, we will we will get 2,000, 2,200, 2,500 a square for metal roofing. Wow. And people are out there trying to sell it for five, six, seven hundred dollars a square. Yeah, seven hundred a square. You know, their materials are running on four hundred, their installs running on two fifty to three hundred, but they're gonna do part of the install and they make a little bit of wage and think they made some money. They have nothing for marketing, nothing for office, nothing for staff. And so, you know, you've got to get the right price for your product and, and even understand how do you set the the right price? How do you build a presentation that'll get you the value perceived by the customer? And it's not smoke and mirrors. You've got to have great product and get a great price and be honorable and you're entitled to make a profit with the staff and not have to be overburdened with working 80 hours a week and collapsing. Yeah, it's all about the value that you are delivering. If you, if the value exceeds the price, my friend John Anglis says this all the time, if the value exceeds the price, people buy. If the price exceeds yes. the value, people don't. And what's yes. funny is that even at six or seven, five or 600 a square, compared to your 2,000 a square, you probably have more value in the deal 
than the guy at five or six hundred, and he's not making money ripping well, uh, yes. way ripping and customers off. A lot, yes, a, a lot more value. The five six hundred dollars square is ripping the guy off. Yeah. He's out because he doesn't think he can get a price for his product. He'll stoop to putting barn metal on people's houses that he knows going to leak. So how do you build referrals out of a product you're putting on people's houses that you know you're going to have a problem with? Okay, So we're out putting premium products on with premium underlayments. We even have our own sealants made. We designed our own uh, ventilation system and began manufacturing it 10 years ago. Now we've licensed it out to the industry. And we've just, there's hardly anything in that, that whole roof system that isn't proprietary to us, not just in name, but because we've made it unique. You know, when, when you go to the level that you're trying to solve problems that are in industry and you go to sealant manufacturers, you hire a sealant consultant to design your own sealant. You, you, you have a story to tell customers. What is it that you're doing special for them? When we put an American metal roof on somebody's house, they have zero out of pocket for life. Now, I've got a hundred million dollars in roofs out there right now. I have two part-time service people on a hundred million and, and they've got a warranty forever. But it's that value we're talking about. So when we're there and they look at your price, I say, my, that's a lot of money. Uh, And we said, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. We realize that's not an objection. That's a statement. It means nothing. Yes, it is a lot of, it's a lot of money to me. I said the same thing when I bought my new car and that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of money these days for a car. But we deliver that value and we continue to close sales and blow people away. Like how in the world can, can you guys do that? Well, we're the authority. They want what we have. The value is strong our reputation is impeccable yeah you know and and the funny thing is as as you were saying all of that i'm thinking that it's easier to run a business that way maybe easy isn't the right word but it's easier to run that business than it is to run the other business although you know not charging enough is just being lazy and when you're when you're being lazy you think that things are easier, but what you're really doing is making it much, much harder for you. So in the case, like what you're describing here is, you're putting some thought into it up front. Like you said, the the 747 analogy I thought was great. A lot of energy goes into building the system, but once you've developed that system, then it should be easier because now you can bring people in, you teach them the system, and then because you have the system, if something doesn't go right, it's not you're not looking at 87 different things over here that could have maybe gone wrong. All you do is go back to the system and you just look at, okay, well, did we do step one? Then did we do step two? Oh, step three is where we kind of, that's probably where we messed up. So we tweak uh-huh. that, we fix it, and then we move on. And, and you know, same thing with value. It's like all these things that you're talking about, the sealant, the, developing your own sealant, that sounds like a lot of work. But guess what? You, do, you put the energy in up front, and then now it's actually much easier because you're getting the right price and you get to build value. And importantly, you, like you said, you have a story to tell. And when you have mm-hmm. seven people that are out selling for you, now you have leverage. Now you have leverage. Now you can make a boatload of money. And I think this is some of the stuff that, you know, people in this business just don't get is. Yes. You know, Brian, also for contractors, it's a, it should be about making decisions about their business. In other words, I made a decision not to have a multitude of products. We yep. found our niche. We are extremely profitable. 
I don't need to have a 30 million, a hundred million, a $200 million business. I built 20 million back in the nineties. And so, you know, understanding what is it that I want to have? I don't want to be saddled with 80, 90 hours a week. You know, I understood one of the advantages of coming from another company and starting this company is I understood the people that I was going to need to have in my company so that I didn't have to work those kind of hours. I understood I'm going to put together an org chart. I'm going to wear all the hats up front, but eventually I'm going to fill in all of these these pieces. I don't think that a lot of contractors have an understanding when they're taking a look at this business that, you know, who are the key people that they're going to need inside because they're their knowledge base is only based upon who they've been hanging around. And so they truly, you know, if they want to grow, find somebody that's successful that they can emulate that may even act as a mentor for them. When I sit down and talk with people and I say, okay, where do we want to go with your company? They, I kind of get this look, well, I want to grow. And and you pull out an org chart and they, 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 they find it really interesting that you're going to need a marketing person. And then you're going to need a communication center person to run a call center. Then you're going to need a sales manager and an install manager. And then you're going to need to run your front office. And then out of that, you need to spit out cash so you can pump it to the top of the funnel and buy some more marketing or the gasoline for the engine, that how it expands. And just that concept for a lot of people um, isn't there. And so they, they don't know that they're supposed to be generating 15% of top line revenue to feed the machine for leads. They they. Don't, they don't understand the basics of it. So that's generally where we start with somebody initially to help them understand the process and why it is that you've got to build uniqueness into your product and do a follow-up step system of selling so you can keep generating the gasoline to the engine to have more leads or else you're dead. Yeah. Awesome. So let me ask you this as we kind of start to wrap up here. If you were starting out again now, Mm-hmm. What would you what would you do different? Or kind of thinking back to when you started, is what would you do different? Well, starting right now, I'd be starting with probably a lot more money. So uh, <laughs> money takes <laughs> money takes money ta- money takes away fear, and you can you can you can gamble. So okay. I've really got to put myself in that mindset of where I was at back then. Yes. Um, what, what would have what would I have done different? I would have. You know, that's a that, that that's a tough question for me, Brian, only because, you know, I had that 15 years of experience yeah. that I started with. And I, w- I will tell you this, one thing that was important that guided my business that, that I think would be valuable for your listeners. When I started my company, I, I told you I, I, I left a situation that wasn't, wasn't great. And so it was a very abrupt change. And I can remember sitting down on my desk and I took everything off my desk. You know, one day I was vice president, the next day I'm starting a new company. And I took out a, a pen of paper and an ink pen and I wrote a line drew a line down the middle and I was going to do it a Ben Franklin. And I put everything I liked about the home improvement business on the left side of the page. And it was only about 15, 18 lines, maybe two thirds of the way down the page. That's a lot. And every, and everything that I didn't like, I started writing on the right hand side and I got through the first page and I got through the second page and I was on the third page <laughs> and I really looked at it and I realized that the difference was difference in morals and things that I see that I did and was okay, that was overlooked, just wasn't okay. In other words, it's not okay to sell people product that isn't in their best interest. It's not okay to take advantage of people. And when I took a look at everything on the right-hand side of the sheet, I said, if I've got to do that, I don't want to be in this business. So the very initial stage was a moral compass that I, I really understood it was God first, family second, and business third. And I meant it. And we've, I vowed never to do anything on the right side of the page. And there was probably opportunities to grow that if I want to do some things that were immoral. 
and to maybe shade the truth. I took the high road and we built an incredible, incredible company and attracted incredible people that wanted to be part of that and not on the right-hand side of the page. And I continue to suck people out of the home improvement business that, that don't want the immoral side that want to be part of something absolutely great. So if I had to make a recommendation to somebody starting a business, make recommendations, some put a business on the right track, take a look at, at your moral compass. Make sure everything that you're doing is what you want it what you want and that you're very proud of it and vow never to do the things that are the on the immoral side of that page. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Do you still have the list, by the way? No, I wish I did. I truly wish I, I wish I you talked did about too. it so much. <laughs> I came when you when you go through the the nineties, you know, this business is cyclical and I have been around a long time. Um you know, I've seen the the rise of the interest rates and, and we were, you know, outselling finance loans at nineteen, twenty one, twenty four percent and then the then the collapse of a lot of finance companies in, in the nineties. Seen a lot of that repeat as we got into, you know, uh, the challenges around nine eleven, seen a lot of the same type of stuff repeat in two thousand eight, nine and ten. We don't need to do I see contractors doing things that aren't in their best interest that are gonna hurt their business long term, but morally isn't good and they don't feel good about their profession. We feel very, very good about our sales profession. We help lots of people. Yeah. I've, I've never run into somebody now we are the highest priced guys in the, in the state, maybe in the country. I've never run into a customer said I overpaid for your roof. I don't hide when I go to the grocery store and I see one of my customers. I go up to them, they all give me a hug, they say the same thing. Cost a lot of money, but I do it again. Last year I went out and we did some interviews with some customers that I sold in my very first year, just put out a series. And uh, the three interviews just picked, sent, sent letters out to, I think, 10 or 12 people that I'd sold asking if somebody wanted to be interviewed. Some weren't there anymore in their houses 17, 18 years later. Went back and sat down with three customers. They all said exactly the same thing. Best thing they ever did. I asked them, what would you think when you seen the price? They all said about passed out, but they would do it again. That's the key. That's when you know you have a business, that you're, you're not taking advantage of people with price. They got the value. They've seen it. They love it. They brag about it. Our, our customers are cult-like. They're like Harley drivers. They, they just, well, they die for our company. Personally, awesome. I absolutely love it. It means I don't have to work 80 hours a week. I run a four-day work week. I can disappear for weeks at a time. I can take a month off in the wintertime, two months off in the wintertime. We've built a solid business. And I think that's where people want to get. That's awesome. And, 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 you know, by the time this goes out, so if you're, if you're listening to this now and you go to thewealthycontractor.com, um, there's an opportunity there for you to get my latest book called The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. And what's interesting is if you read the book and then go back and listen to all of what Frank just said, you will notice probably all seven of those secrets um, in that, uh, in this last couple of minutes of what Frank said. And if, a couple things that you said, I think that are really, really key is you said, I don't need a 20 or $30 million business. And a lot of people think in this business that they're not going to be, that they're not going to make real money or they're not going to be happy or they're not going to whatever until they have a five, 10 or $20 million business. In most cases, that's absolutely untrue. If you run your business the way you do, and it's super profitable, like it's supposed to be, you don't need a $20 million business. One of the things that I say now all the time is, I am much, much more impressed with a company that does 5 million with a 20% bottom line 
than a company that's 20 million with a 5% bottom line. I, yes, I, there, there's, there's a sweet spot in the home improvement industry that, that truly is at about 2 million, uh, might go as high as, as 2.5 million, where you can have a great, great running company yep. that you don't need a lot of mid-level management, that a guy can be extremely successful. And then that next, that next level jumps up to be about a 7, 8 million, and then you need another level of, of, of management to move up. person's yep. got to decide where they're comfortable, where, they're, where their capabilities fall in training management because you, you don't want things to get out of control. In other words, if you if you can develop managers and, and build a bigger business, fantastic, and you can still maintain this and maintain profitability, but boy, you are right. There is a sweet spot at that two, two and a half million. There's another sweet spot in that five to seven million range. Yeah. You know, and, and part of it is, so <clears throat> I'll reveal secret number one is that the wealthy contractor knows what they really want. And I think too many people don't know what they really want in terms of, well, how much money do I really want to make? I ask people all the time. So, you know, they call me and they say, oh, I want to do this new marketing thing. What do you think? Or I want to do this or how do I grow my... And one of my first questions is always, how much money do you want to make? And it's, and they're like stumped. It's like, what do you mean? How much money do I want? Well, how much money do you need to live like your ideal lifestyle? 200, 500, a million? What's the number? And once you know the number, right? So let's just say the number is $200,000 or $300,000. Okay. Well now let's reverse engineer your business to figure out where you need to be. And like you said, two, two and a half million run properly will make, should make somebody 300 to $500,000. It's a great living, you know? Yes. It's funny. You know, the, the other, Brian, right. the, the other thing to, to, you know, I, I agree with, I agree with what you're saying. They, they, they don't look at it from that 30,000 foot view and say, where do we want to go with it? They just start building a business. Okay. Yeah. The other, the other question, and maybe it's in another one of your secrets, because uh, I haven't read that, is how do they want to feel about their business? I am so proud of what we have, the ethics, the values. Yeah. What, what is so important this company is given back to the community. Uh, we have started many, many food programs. We give back a lot. This year we'll give give back 60,000 pounds of food that's distributed. Wow. You know, we are heavily involved in nonprofits and helping them become successful to give back to the community. So the people that are here, yes, they come to get a paycheck, but they come for sense of pride. They love it here. I don't have turnover. This is this is a big family. And you know what? That's what I wanted. Remember I said I started yep. in pop. <clears throat> I wanted to make money. Yes. Did I become wealthy? Yes. But the goal was to feel good feel good about the company, feel good about what we're doing in the community. God first family, second business, third. And I found when I took care of other people, I got everything I wanted. Wow. Well, look, I think that's awesome, Frank. I, I, this has been a fantastic, fantastic interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to be here and to do this. I appreciate all of the wisdom and the experience. Any parting words? I, I, I would I would say Brian I, I have enjoyed the conversation and I've I'm open to helping anybody if it's a casual conversation or even turn into a business relationship to help them in life if you help enough people get what they want you'll get what you want in the end you got to feel good about what you do this business is absolutely incredible one parting thing I will say I went to medical school with 125 people there's only one person in that 125 that make more than I do <laughs> he's a brain surgeon okay so there's a lot of specialty people in there. This business has been very good to me. I handle it as a profession. I didn't handle it as a scam. Nice. Awesome. Well, Frank, again, thank you so much. 
I appreciate you you being here with us. All right, everybody, that is another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. And until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. By the way, if you haven't done so already, head over to thewealthycontractor.com and uh, get a copy of uh, the book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor, thewealthycontractor.com. All right, so that's it for today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a new way? Did it spark an idea or ideas you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. Now, before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. And a favor. I'd really appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and post a review of this podcast. Let us know how we're doing. And finally, we started the Wealthy Contractor as a resource to help you, the home improvement entrepreneur, regardless of where you are on the wealthy scale, get where you want to go. We want to provide you with the motivation, the confidence, the resources, and the tools so you too can live the life of the wealthy contractor. Now, the wealthy contractor is a place where it's okay for you to want it all. In fact, it's not only okay, it's encouraged. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskovalsian with G4 Marketing Group.